Welcome to the Calvary St. George's Sermon Podcast, proclaiming the historic faith of Christ and Him crucified. These podcasts are recorded and produced by the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. For more information, head to calvarystgeorges.org. A really warm welcome to you today uh, to uh, St. George's Church, part of the uh, Parish of Calvary in St. George's, and today we celebrate the Feast of St. George. And uh, St. George is a very special saint to me. For those of you who do not know, I have him actually tattooed on my arm. Last year when we went to Israel, I got a tattoo, and so anyway, and we picked George. But he is the patron saint of England, uh, Russia, Georgia, um, a a lot of different countries, and uh, several other nations. He's also the patron saint of Arab Christians. And if you go to Palestine or parts of Egypt and into Lebanon and Syria, there where you have Christian families, you'll see an image of George on their home. But who was he? Well, George uh, would have been born uh, right outside of what is today we know as Beirut in Lebanon. And he was born to a very high-ranking and influential military family in the late 200s. And he was born to a Christian family. And George's father was a very close friend of the Roman Emperor Nicomedia. And, uh, and as a result, George, following the family path, rose quickly through the ranks and eventually became a member of the Praetorian Guard. This was the inner circle of the emperor. And uh, basically... Um, kind of like the secret service times, but they had personal relationships with the emperor. However, after Nicomedia, Diocletian, he became the emperor of the Roman Empire, and he hated Christians, and announced that every Roman soldier would have to offer a sacrifice to him and to the gods of Rome. And George, of course, refused, which upset Diocletian. However, evidently Diocletian deeply respected his family's heritage, George's family's heritage, and their service to the empire. So instead of uh, killing him, he attempted to convert George to the Roman gods with great wealth, land, and slaves. But nevertheless, George refused and became more bold in his Christian witness. And so Diocletian eventually had him tortured, and then in April 23rd, 303 AD, he was decapitated and his body was taken back uh, to what would be outside of Beirut today. And uh, a number of um, not only uh, Christian crusaders, but um, actually uh, Muslims, um, experienced miracles in the early days um, of, uh, of um, pilgrimage to George's uh, tomb. And so he's revered not only by both Christians, but also by Muslims if you go to the Middle East. But the legend of George and the Dragon, which we have here in the West, that comes to us from what is known as um, the Golden Legend. And the Golden Legend contains a number of important stories of saints. Uh, A number of them were killed during the reign of Diocletian, but they're um, almost like um, fables. And uh, there were a number of saints, uh, St. George, St. Sebastian, St. Barbara, and a few others that showed up along, supposedly like the Super Friends, along the Rhine and did amazing uh, miracles, and uh, which uh, spawned... Uh, what became known as Rhinish mysticism. And if you've ever read The Imitation of Christ, uh, this is the great book and the work that came out of Rhinish mysticism. Um, But uh, the story essentially is about a king uh, in what would be Libya today who was forced to feed his daughter to a dragon so the village could get water from a well. And uh, before she was eaten, all of a sudden George shows up And in the name of Jesus, he slays the dragon, saves the princess, and converts the entire village to Christianity. 
not bad for a day's work. And so, uh, but, uh, but, um, but this is my first point. Um, and, and basically, uh, the, the point became that, uh, you know, uh, you know, it became an allegory for us to kind of face the dragons in our own life in Jesus' name. This is really my first point. Feast days are very important in the Christian year. They're really important. And through the lives of saints, we are given the lens by which to understand and interpret the gospel. Saints' days remind us that our faith isn't new, but that our faith is old. Uh, what you are dealing with is you're not the only one, you know, and that our faith has actually been lived out, and it's earthy. Saint days remind us of the struggle to be faithful is real. And in the case of St. George and his legend, each of us have dragons, which must be slain in the name of Jesus. However, as I mentioned, what came out of Rhinish mysticism was this idea of the imitation of Christ. And, uh, and this is a problem. I mean, if you have the imitation of Christ on your table, just put it up. Just put it up. Because that being the case, what happens is, is that we tend to take these hagiographies, these hagiographies, and instead of allowing them to lead us to and reveal Christ and his gospel, they become for us moral life lessons. Moral life lessons. How are you slaying the dragons in your life, everyone? And you see, when our faith gets reduced to moral life lessons, then it's awfully hard to understand our gospel reading today and what's going on and what Jesus is actually talking about here in John 15. What happens is is that our, our passage becomes all about are you abiding enough? How are you doing with keeping Jesus' commands? We completely miss that. And the important part where Jesus says, you did not choose me, but I chose you, that becomes very quiet and it gets lost in a sea of moral imperatives. And even if that particular verse is preached, which is very rare these days, it's often interpreted as show me, prove to me, that you've been chosen by Jesus. I'm going to explain to you what this passage is actually about because it is incredibly liberating and filled with good news. But today's reading continues Jesus' teaching to his disciples in the upper room that he is the vine and they. He continues his teaching that he is the vine and that you and I, those disciples who are present in this moment, are the branches who bear fruit of love for the sake of the world. And so here the setting is in John 15. Jesus is sitting with these men in an upper room around a table where he breaks bread and says, this is my body. He offers wine and says, this is my blood. And then commands them to do this in remembrance of me. On the very night that he is going to give his life for the life of the world. That's important. The mandate that he gives there. And Jesus articulates something very important. He articulates in our reading today how the love of God, which brings life to bear fruit, it comes, he articulates how it flows. It flows from the Father to the Son and from the Son to all of us followed by a very powerful, yet oftentimes misunderstood invitation. 
to abide. In the Greek, the word is meanate. And in our reading, it translates to abide. But if you are reading the Bible for moral life lessons, that can sound like something you should do, right? However, the Greek meaning of abide, meninate, is actually simply to rest. It's to stay. Take a look at that first couple of lines in our gospel reading today with me. As the Father has loved me, you see the flow going there? As the Father has loved me, so I, Jesus, have loved you. Abide, rest, stay in my love. This is very passive. If you keep my commandments, then it says, and the flow comes back, you will abide, you will rest, you will stay in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments, so those are the Ten Commandments, the law, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and rest and stay, abide in his love. The same also is here with commandments. Like, what is he talking about here? He's not talking about Moses. The Greek word here is tarasete. I didn't say that right at all, but that's what it is. And, uh, and, uh, and, uh, or in other words, it's, 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 it's not, it's, It's not keep as an obey, but like in keeping the Ten Commandments of Moses, he's doing that. But the commandment commandment is to uh, cherish, to cling to, to do this in remembrance of me. These are the commandments that he's given, to love one another, to do this in remembrance of me. Right after his resurrection, he's going to command us to baptize people in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And you see, this is important. This is what he's commanding. And those are the tangible commandments, those sacraments. They become for us the sacraments of the new covenant. Those things connect us in love to him and through him to the Father's love. And so this is my second point. And just, just hang on to this second point. To abide in Jesus and keep his commandments is to rest and stay. It's to abide in Jesus and then to cling or cherish his promises given in his word, in communion, and when you were baptized. Those things which he has commanded, which lead us to repentance and convey his forgiveness. There his joy will be in you, And your joy will be found filled and overflowing as you share this love of Christ, bearing fruit that lasts. And here's the key. This is all made possible, not because you chose Jesus. This is all made possible, not because you decided to follow Jesus. But in all of his grace and in all of his mercy, Jesus has chosen you. Now this Jesus choosing you bit, the formal term is called the doctrine of election. Uh, This teaching gets a lot of people, especially Americans, our backs up. 
Because what happened in the United States, what happened in America, is that America manifests destiny. You know, God helps those who help themselves. Nowhere in the Bible, that baptized Christianity as opposed to Christianity baptizing American culture. And we took Christianity and we made it uniquely Americanity and uniquely our own. And this is the huge problem that we're seeing in our country and why the church, because it's not established in the gospel, this idea that Christ has chosen you, we're starting to see left and right, red state Christians and blue state Christians. Give me a break. Give me a break. And you see what happens is, is that when you confuse this, I mean, you fuse, it gets people's backs up and they're, you know, wait a minute, I thought I chose Jesus. I thought I decided to follow Jesus. I mean, I sang the song, Jake. (laughs) And existentially, that may have been the experience. But the truth is, look back over your life, and you will see the Holy Spirit orchestrating your life in such a way to have brought you to that moment. Because before you knew Jesus, he knew you and has appointed you to do good works. Here's the thing, you know, the problem is, is that choice, while soothing for one moment in your life, choice ultimately can be an extremely cruel thing, especially in an eternal sense. And here's why, in an internal sense, it puts the onus on you. It puts everything on you. Did you choose wisely? Did you make a healthy choice? Are you still choosing Jesus? And if you're not, then how in the world are you abiding? And and notice, I'm not talking about choosing to brush your teeth or not. You know what I mean? I'm not talking about things that are below you. You can choose those. We're talking about things that are above you. Christ, God himself, and so you see, but what happens is, is that we take this idea and, we like, and we've taken even the idea of, um, uh, uh, you know, I chose you, you didn't choose me. We took in that and like, and in American Christianity, what we did was is we took that passage and we're like, prove to me that you actually chose Jesus. You know what I mean? We slipped in choice right there through the back door. This is crazy. This, this doctrine is nuts. It's called Pelagianism or semi-Pelagianism. We can talk about that another time. But that becomes a very dangerous dragon. Because the question then is, are you still choosing Jesus? And if you're not, then how in the world are you abiding? And if you're not abiding, then how in the world are you keeping his commandments? And this can actually, it can become extremely cruel. There's lots of people who've moved to New York because they're running away from that form of religion. Maybe that's you and why you crossed the Mason-Dixon line. But this is the good news of the gospel is that while you're running, before you even knew, God in flesh comes to us and in Jesus says, you did not choose me, I chose you. I am the protagonist in the relationship and you will be acted upon. And it will be an act of mercy. It will be an act of grace. And it will be an act of forgiveness that will stretch all time, all culture, all reason, all ethnicity, as I draw all people unto myself. The 17th, I'm not making this up. This is in the 17th article of the Anglican Confession, the 39 articles, it says this. The doctrine of being chosen by God 
of being elect is a doctrine of sweet comfort. Because when you come into contact, and here's why it's some, some sweet comfort, because when you come into contact with the dark places of your life, which would require you to question all of your healthy choices, the good news of the gospel is, is Jesus has still chosen you. And this is my third point, and I'll wrap up with this. The reason we abide, the reason we stay, the reason we rest in Christ, the reason we keep, the reason we cherish and cling to his commandments is because God has taken the initiative in our life and has chosen us. And never forget his choice of you found in water, his choice of you found in this word, his choice of you found in ordinary means of bread and wine always trumps your choice. Alan Jacobs, who spoke at Mockingbird last week, he's a theologian who teaches at Baylor. He was quoting the French author Emmanuel Carrere in uh, his seminal work, The Kingdom. And the book, The Kingdom, is about a man's journey from faith to unbelief. But at the end, Emmanuel Carrere, Jacobs points out, closes with this line. Crying out in the midst of his unbelief, he says, I have forsaken you, Lord. Please, don't forsake me. And that word just really hit my heart. And I almost started crying in the, in the talk because it hit so personally. Because I think more often than not, this is the cry of all of us. Lord, I have forsaken you. Please don't forsake me. And the good news of the gospel is, is no matter where you run, he chose you. When faced, even with the darkest areas of your life, when faced with the dragons that want to consume every part of you, especially those parts brought on by your own choices, remember, Jesus has chosen you. Remember, you did not choose Christ. He chose you. And he has appointed you that you should bear fruit, and that you should bear fruit that lasts. And because he chose you, no matter what, you are a child of God. And you have been chosen in love to abide in his love and as a result, love one another. And I can feel the love in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast, produced and recorded at the parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. If you feel led to support the continuing ministry of the parish, you can make an online donation at calvarystgeorges.org slash giving. Thank you.